0: We're going to continue our series called Just Give. We've made it to part six. We've got one more week next week. Um, And so I'm going to do the best I can to give a little bit of just a brief recap. And then we're going to jump into this this morning. Um, So what we've been talking about in this series is the power of just deciding to give. Deciding to give. Like We've just got this simple little title, Just Give. And the the heart behind this, the idea behind this is that God himself is a giver. Everything that we have, our time, our talent, our treasure, it's a gift from him. And God invites us to become more and more like him. He's calling us to be generous givers who learn to steward well everything he's given us um, by stewarding it with faithfulness and with wisdom. And so we've kind of unpacked how giving is much larger than about finances. It's about a way of life. We've talked about what it means to be a steward. We spent a few weeks talking about our finances and how we honor him with those. And then last week we began talking about our time and how how we honor him with our time. And so I want to take about five minutes and just give you a little bit of a refresher or reminder on what we covered last week. This was originally intended to be one complete message. And so I just want to make some connections because what we're going to talk about this morning flows out of the ground we laid last week. And so um, really briefly, we talked about stewarding our time last week. And now when Jesus defines stewardship, he uses two words, faithfulness and wisdom. We're called to be faithful stewards and wise stewards. And so the way that we're faithful in our stewarding is by knowing the person who's given us the stuff. If, if, this applies to any facet of life. If I've been given a job and I have a boss above me and he wants things done a certain way, I need to have a sense of who he is or who she is and what they're looking for so I can then represent that vision well, so I can steward it the way they want it to be stewarded. And so being a faithful steward means knowing the master, knowing the boss, knowing the king. And so we get to know who God is and then learn how to obey Him, how to walk with Him, and that's how we are faithful stewards. And then, as we know Him and we're walking with Him, we gain wisdom and insight. That's going to be a byproduct of getting to know Him. And so, there are practical things the Bible has to say about how we steward our lives well. But we can't get things out of order. If I approach the Bible as just a set of rules to follow or guidelines and miss the heartbeat, which is a relationship with the living God, who is this generous, loving giver, um, then I'm just a good rule follower, as opposed to, to being alive to him, alive to his kingdom, and living the life he's called me to live. And so we faithfully get to know him and learn how to obey him, and then we learn principles that will help us steward with wisdom. So how did that apply to our time? Well, we talked about giving him our time giving him our time for the purpose of getting to know him. Not rigidly, I'm going to read my Bible every day because I'm supposed to, I'm going to pray for a certain amount of time because I've been told to, but because there's a relationship that's available and I want to engage in and get to know who God is. And so I give him my time. And then 100% of my time, I live with him. And we talked about that really intimidating verse, um, pray without ceasing. And I think we all felt really confident that we do that all the time. Um, probably not, but we define that a little more clearly. It's living with that sense of awareness that God is present and he is with me. 50% of prayer, maybe 90% of prayer should be this, but a lot of prayer is not us saying stuff to him. Prayer is a conversation. It's an exchange. And so listening is just a bigger part of that. And so to pray without ceasing means I am aware that God is present and he's with me. And I begin to recognize his voice more because I'm I'm getting to know him in the time I'm giving him that I'm setting apart to be with him. So then throughout my day, I'm more familiar with his voice. And so throughout my day, whatever I'm doing, he's with me and present and I live with him and then I can follow and obey his voice. So that's that's how we approach um, stewarding our time faithfully. So then we talked about wisdom and stewarding our time wisely. And we just kind of made a couple of observations. Number one, time is scarce. It's a limited resource that runs out. We recognize money is that way, right? Eventually my bank account runs out of money if I just keep spending. But, but time is even more precious because when I spend money, I can go earn more. I haven't figured out a way, maybe you have, I haven't figured out a way to gain more time. I have whatever limited amount of time he's gonna give me on this earth. That's it. That's what I have. It's a scarce resource. So I should view it as rare and precious. Um, We also said that time is temporary, not not in the way that it's scarce. It's temporary because it only applies to this life. We are eternal beings. God is an eternal being. And so time is something I'm only going to experience here. And when I move into heaven, what I was really made for, I'm going to experience the power and the joy of eternal living And so because time is scarce, but it's also temporary, I can can live in the view that God is beyond and outside of time. And so he invites me to do something really, really cool. I get to take a temporary limited resource and learn how to invest it in something that lasts forever. That's, That's how we live wisely. I view my time as a precious resource and as much as I can I invest it in things that last forever. Well, that's you and I. People, we last forever. And so we learn to invest our time in what really matters. And so we entrust our time to him by doing that. So then then we finished by just talking about how do we live in such a way where I am able to give God my time, listen to his voice throughout the day, and then invest this temporary resource I have into something eternal. How do I do that? And this is not a complete list by any means, but it's some reflections on how we can use our time wisely. Number one, we need to learn to rest. We need to learn to rest. That involves sleep. It's physical, it's mental, emotional, it's spiritual. We live at a frenetic, crazy pace. Our minds anxiously racing. We sleep less than we were designed to sleep. The average American sleeps way less than the hours our bodies were meant. We would operate better and more fully if we learned to rest. It's an act of trust when I decide to rest because I'm saying not only God, you'll protect me while I rest, but, but Lord, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to rest here and believe that the rest of the time I give you, it's going to all work out. It'll be enough. And so we learn to rest. Secondly, We should work hard, but we should not celebrate busyness. We should not celebrate busyness. It creates anxiety. And what ends up happening when we celebrate busyness, when we fill our calendar with stuff, the temporary things that don't last fill all of our time. And and we made the analogy, if we knew someone... And this this is not meant for you to think of, you know, the person sitting next to you or a neighbor or something. But if, if we knew someone who was very wasteful with their money, they just spent it quickly and it was gone and then they lived off the scraps regularly, we wouldn't view that as something to celebrate. We wouldn't view that as wise. We would view it as foolishness. Then why do we celebrate busyness? Why do we act like that's worth glorifying? That if my life is just so busy and so full, I've accomplished something. And then what happens is we're stuck living off the scraps. Our energy is depleted. Our our families, the ones closest to us, get the leftovers. And so we should not celebrate uh, busyness. And so instead, we talked about learning to control our calendar. Instead of your calendar dictating your life, you tell your calendar what it's going to do. And we do that by getting at it first and saying, here's what's most important. Rest is important. People in my life are important. What are kingdom eternal things? that I'm going to block that out, and then I can fill in around the margins with some other things that have to be done instead of letting the busyness dictate it. We talked about the power of learning to say no. And if, if you don't know how to just look at somebody and say, no, I can't do that, we talked about a little trick you can use that I learned a few years ago. You can just tell people, my schedule won't allow it they'll still think you're really busy and you know you just blocked out some needed time with your family or to get rest or to pray. My schedule won't allow it. Because it's, it's hard to choose to live a life that's less busy in a world that is dictated by busyness. And so we just use a phrase like that. Sorry, my schedule won't allow that. I can't do it. Learn to say no. And so finally, we choose, we choose wisely to prioritize people and then be at peace that God will make it all work out. Okay. So that's what we talked about last week. Now, when, when we learn to steward our time faithfully and with wisdom, then we can begin to do the stuff we're going to talk about this morning, which is to give it away generously. We can give our time away generously. I can only do that when I've purposed to steward it faithfully and wisely. So here we go. I'm going to pray one more time and we're going to jump into John chapter four this morning. So, Lord, we love you. God, we need you to expand our time. We have less of it today, and um, I'm tired, and I'm guessing others here are too. And so, God, would you do a miracle in our hearts? Give us energy, give us focus, give us clarity. Jesus, would you teach us how you approached the use of your time in your day-to-day life? And I I pray that wouldn't be an impossible standard that we try to meet, but, God, it would be an invitation into a new way of living. And you'll give us the grace and the ability to live that way when we come and we learn from you, the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. In John chapter four, we're picking up a story where um, Jesus is is doing something that um, is very normal. It's very normal. And when we first start reading the story, you might discover oh, I'm familiar with this. It's the story of the woman at the well. Um, but we're going to look at this from a little bit of a different perspective this morning. I'm not going to unpack his entire conversation with her. I want to talk about how Jesus was able to engage with this woman. So let's check this out. John chapter four be- or, yeah be- excuse me, John chapter four beginning in verse four. And he, that's Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. Can you guys say had to pass through Samaria? He had to, pass he had to do it. Jesus lived within the bounds of time and space. He was on his way somewhere else, and he had to pass through Samaria. You ever feel that way? I just have to go do this today. I don't really have much of a choice, all right? Jesus had to live like that. So he had to pass through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey. Did you catch that? Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey. Jesus gets tired. He gets wore out. There's things he has to do sometimes. He was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So you could say like noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. their grocery shopping. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, "'Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, "'and the well is deep. "'Where do you get that living water? "'Are you greater than our father Jacob? "'He gave us the well and drank from it himself, "'as did his sons and their livestock.'" Verse 13, Jesus said to her, "'Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, "'but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him "'will never be thirsty again.'" The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Many of us, if not all of us, are familiar with this story. Jesus stops and he engages with this woman and they, they carry on a long conversation after this. But I want us to see some things before we just jump into the actual conversation. Notice what's happening here. Jesus is just doing something very normal. He's traveling. He's traveling. He's on a road trip. He's going from point A to point B. This this isn't a scheduled day to meet 5,000 people on a hillside and do a lot of preaching and then work a miracle. This is is a Tuesday afternoon. You you tracking with me? This is just a normal day. He's got to go somewhere. And so he's traveling. And look, he's tired He's worn out. He sits down at this well in the middle of the day. He's just done. He doesn't even have the energy to go into town, to deal with people. I mean, if you're like me, when you're tired, like people are kind of like, I'm just going to go in my room and close the door and hide for a little bit. Jesus is just like, I I don't people right now. I can't, I can't do that. I, I believe that's part of what's happening here. His disciples went into town. He did everything with them, right? He's tired. He's worn out. He just, he can't even go down. He can't even deal with the grocery store. So the disciples are going to take care of that. He's thirsty. He's hungry. He's worn out. We, we just, we need to be aware of that. Like Jesus was a, a normal guy who lived life with people. And he understood what it was to be tired, to be weary, to have practical things that he had to do. But what's interesting about Jesus is he, he knows how to operate within those confines. He was tired, so what did he do? He sat down to rest. He was thirsty, so what was he going to do? I'm going to sit here and, and get a drink for a minute. Like he, he stopped, he slowed down. Jesus is actually willing to tend to his personal needs, he rests and he gets a drink. He's thirsty. Now, I, I realize the danger in what I'm about to say. Okay, we, we live in a very selfish, consumer-oriented world. I, I get that. I believe that. I think the gospel has, has even been twisted in a lot of ways in our culture to be all about us. And I think that's dangerous. But I also have to say that I know a lot of people who under the guise of being unselfish don't know how to take care of themselves. We don't know how to recognize what I need in order to love others well. If I'm focused on what I need just to be selfish and get what I want all the time, well, that's garbage and it'll leave you empty anyways. But if I learn the power and the necessity of of recognizing what are some basic needs that I have, it actually gives me the ability to be available, to love my kids well, to love my spouse well, to be present with people at my work. When I learn this pacing, see, Jesus is practicing three things here. Number one, he's practicing pace. He didn't push on and just get to the end of the journey just to get through it. He said, hey, we gotta go somewhere, we're on our way through here, but you know what, I gotta stop. I gotta take a break. And so he learned pacing. He practiced pacing. He, he learned the importance of rest. And so he sat down. He, he knew this word. I don't know if he uses it here, but he knew the word margin. His, his calendar wasn't just chalked full of like, well, we've got to get from here to here because I've got this meeting at six tonight. And we just we got to be there on time for that. We do have to get from here to here but we can stop along the way. We can get some rest. Peter, you're looking pretty hungry, bro. Go into town. I know there's nowhere to fish nearby. Just, it's okay. I realize the fish probably won't be as fresh as what you would have normally caught, but like go into town, get a bite to eat. Like he just, he had this sense of pacing and what he needed. And so he slowed down. He slowed down. This woman happens along. She happens along. But Jesus was able to be available to her because of this this pace. He He was meeting his personal needs. He was slowing down. He was resting. And then, because he was approaching life that way, the rest of this story is possible. And so let's look again at verses 9 and 10. This woman shows up, and he begins talking with her. And she's confused by that. And verse 8 told us, um, you know, lets us, lets us, lets us, makes it clear to us that he's there by himself and she's there by herself. So it's just the two of them. It's the middle of the day. And verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And notice this really important parentheses here. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So this is this is someone who in any normal circumstances, someone like Jesus would have totally avoided. This isn't just like a close friend that he's making time for. This is somebody would be an outcast. Now, if we know anything about the culture, there's several things we can learn from this story. Number one, if we skip towards the end, we find out this woman had been married a bunch of different times. She's on like her fifth man. Um, culturally, it makes no sense for her in the hottest part of the day to be going out to the well to draw water. She's avoiding people. The women of the town would have gone early in the morning or in the evening when it was cooler and all gathered together. They would have chatted and talked and done their little gossip thing and gotten water for their family and headed back. They would have visited. She's avoiding people. This is a social outcast, probably anyways from the people in her town and then especially to a Jew. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. And so here she comes in the middle of the day. Can you just imagine how she's feeling when she walks up thinking she's had the well to herself? It's like, oh, oh, and it's a Jewish guy. Great. Well, maybe I can just avoid him and do this really quick. But Jesus sees her and engages with her. Because of Jesus' pace and margin, he, he saw this woman as a real living person who had needs, who had desires. And He stopped and he engaged with her. And so then he answers her after she's just shocked that he's even acknowledging her existence. He answers her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Notice how selflessly Jesus is approaching this. He's thinking about her and her needs and what he has to offer her. Because of Jesus' pace, this woman, instead of being viewed as an annoying interruption, was viewed as a person of worth and of value. And he recognized, I've got something I can give her. And so he stopped and he was able to do that because of his approach. He considered her valuable and worthy of his time. I just just wonder... How many times we're marginalizing people around us? I mean, I'm a dad. I've got a bunch of kids. I'm guilty of doing this with my children, of marginalizing them, of being so spent and exhausted and not having time with them that I, I've, I'll view them at times as an annoyance. I mean, it breaks my heart to think about the times I do that. But I, I know in my heart I do. But when we learn to operate during the normal needs of day-to-day life with the right pace and right margin, then we give ourselves the chance to see people as valuable and worthy of our time instead of an annoying interruption that's making my life more difficult. This is the power of this. So because Jesus did this and he slowed down and he embraced being present in the moment, he engaged with this woman. And then I love this. He begins talking with her a little bit more. And in verses 13 and 14, he begins to tell her what what he has that's available to her. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. He's talking about time. He's saying, I'm carrying around something eternal with me. And I want to give that away to other people who need it. I'm willing to give away the eternity that I get to carry around in me to others. And he happily gives it away. Listen, Jesus' approach to life enabled this forgettable day to turn into one of the most well-known impactful moments from his ministry. How many of you had heard of the woman at the well, the story of the woman at the well before this morning? Yeah, we know. This is a forgettable day. This is a random moment in time, but there was eternal work to be done. We encounter eternity every day in one another. I am walking around eternal beings all day, every day. And so many of us just live trudging through life, not not living in view of that eternity. And when we recognize and appreciate and and, um, are grateful for the time we've been given, we see it with the right perspective, I realize that I have the unique opportunity to give away, encourage, speak life into other people. I can offer them something that is available to everyone. And so this forgettable day turns into an impactful moment that we can now learn from. Jesus walked through life managing his time in order to prioritize people. I mean, it would be an interesting study just to look at how many times Jesus allowed for interruptions. You know, he's on the way to Jairus' house. I mean, we've got a desperate situation. Jairus' daughter is sick unto death. She's dying. She's dying. And Jesus, on the way there, allows himself to be stopped by this woman with the issue of blood, who is desperate for some help. Now, her circumstance is the opposite of pressing. She's already figured out how to live that way for years and years and years. He could come back to her in a week and deal with it then. From our perspective, the girl on her deathbed is a way higher priority than the demands of this woman who's just had a chronic illness. But Jesus stops, he slows down, he engages with her, she receives healing, he connects with her, like he has a real personal exchange with her, and in the midst of that time, that little girl dies. And if we stop right there, Jesus blew it. He blew it. He didn't prioritize the right thing, he wasted of time, he should have been in a hurry, but he carries around eternal life with him. And he knows in view of eternity, He's got plenty of time to get to that little girl. And he calls life out of death and raises her from that bed. The same thing happened with Lazarus. Lazarus is his friend. He knew this guy. He loved him. And he got word that he was sick and Jesus delayed a few days. We we need to learn how to let Jesus teach us about what really matters and what we prioritize. And that interruptions might actually be the very best part of our day if we'll dare to believe that. But if I'm living a busy, frenetic, chaotic, I'm always out of time, I'm always racing, my mind is anxious and racing, I have no ability to view life this way. Man, I pray that we would let Jesus invite us into how he approached time. Crystal, I don't, did you know I was going to read from Ephesians 5 this morning? (laughs) I thought that was so cool that you shared that verse during worship. Well, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. The whole chapter is worth unpacking. Um, It's a very practical chapter. The idea behind it is walking in love and prioritizing people. The further into it you get, you get practical advice. As a married person, if you're married, you get practical advice. How to interact with your, your employer or your employees. It's a very practical chapter. But the heart behind it is learning how to walk in love. And so we're going to just check out a couple of verses here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Paul is inviting us into the same way of life that Jesus had. And so he says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's how Jesus used his time for us, for others. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And then if we skip down to verse 15, you'll see why I'm connecting this with time because Paul is. So we need to walk in love the way Christ did. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walking in love is the best use of our time. Love means willing the good of somebody else. And it's often sacrificial. The Bible paints that picture, actually. That love is sacrificial. This wasn't in my notes, but um, one one of the first, the first place in the Bible where the word love shows up, you know where it is? It's in the story of Abraham taking his one and only son Isaac up on the mountaintop to sacrifice him. That's that's where the word love shows up for the very first time in Scripture. God's teaching us a principle about what love is. Loving someone else costs me something. But we're invited into a life where we walk in love. We learn to love each other. It's the best use of our time. And then he says this strange thing. We, We make the best use of our time because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. I want to actually unpack that word a little bit. That word, evil. It's the Greek Greek word, poneros. I hope I'm saying that right. Poneros, maybe. Um, it means labor. See, it does, the first word out of the gate isn't morally wrong. It means labor. It means sorrow. It means painful. It also means evil in a moral or spiritual sense. It has within it the idea of life being full of labors and annoyances and hardships. Um, Toils, perils, pain, trouble. Physically, it means diseased or blind. In an ethical sense, it means evil, wicked, bad. What he's saying is life is hard. Sometimes it's just laborious. Sometimes it's downright painful. Sometimes I'm surrounded by evil and wickedness. And in the midst of that, it's so easy to lose sight of what matters. But also it's so necessary in light of the evil of our day, in light of the labors and the pain and the sorrow, in light of the brokenness of humanity. It's all the more important that in the midst of that, we see what time is really for. To love and treasure that which is eternal, to speak some light into the dark, to bring some comfort in the midst of pain. I've sat with a lot of people over the years who are in a lot of pain. And I gotta tell you, I still don't know what to say. But I've learned something I can do. I can be present. I can hold their hand. I can be there with them. I can say nothing else matters right now. You're the priority. And I'm here and I want you to know that's just a tiny little taste of how the Father is making you His priority. He's a God of comfort, a God of love. He is ever-present, even in the darkest moment. We can choose to be present with people in the midst of a painful, toiling world. Because the days are evil, it's easier to forget to spend our time generously. But because the days are evil, we need to learn to be generous with our time, investing in what's eternal. So we steward our time faithfully. We steward our time wisely. We give it away generously. And then then how do we, what's the perspective that helps us to do that? How do we do that in the midst of of a perilous, dark world? The secret, I believe, is to spend our time gratefully, to spend our time with gratitude. Gratitude will be the key that can help us live this way. Check this out. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to finish with this passage. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Speaking about God, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Not right this second, but in its time, he makes everything beautiful. Also, he has put eternity into man's hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. He's put eternity in my heart, and yet I don't really understand exactly what's happening. He's actually telling us there's going to be a lot of whys in life that you're not going to get the answer to, at least this side of heaven. There's going to be a lot of wondering what is going on, and you're not necessarily going to get the answer to that. But but walk with the belief that in time God makes all things beautiful and live with the recognition that you are eternal. See, if I'm not careful, I can take this idea of stewarding my time well and turn it into something else to be anxious about. Well, then there's this pressure. I got to figure out how to always use my time wisely and do it just right and manage my schedule just right. No. No. The pressure is off. God is an eternal God. We're eternal beings. He's going to work it all out. So I can just be present in the moment with him and watch the miracle of God making beauty from ashes. Recognize everything is beautiful in its time. He's made me eternal. And so all these things that I'm not sure what's happening or how they're going to work out, it's okay because it's not my job to work them out. That's his job. He's got it. Verse 12. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Time is a gift from him. And we can live joyfully and we can steward it well, but he invites us to take pleasure and enjoy it. That's his invitation. So here's the deal. Because of this truth, I can live gratefully for the time that I do have, and I can live gratefully for eternal life because it's all going to work out in the end. Grateful for the time I have, grateful for eternity. Time is a limited resource. We are eternal beings. If we will invest what is temporary by spending our time wisely, faithfully, with generosity, and with gratitude, we are going to reap the rewards eternally. That's what Jesus is offering if we will give him our time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your incredible love for us. God, I thank you for the gift of the life I have. And God, I admit it's, it's a, a labor sometimes. God, the days are evil. It's tiring. It's difficult. It's painful. It's wearying. But God, I thank you that you have made me an eternal being and you have given me the gift of the time that I have on this earth. And God, I pray for myself. I pray for my friends here this morning. God, that we would learn from you how to spend our time, that we would get to know you and get to know your heart. God, we learn to to recognize your presence with us every day, all day. We get familiar with your voice. And God, that you would teach us how to spend our time wisely going at the right pace, learning how to rest, and God, investing in people, investing in what is eternal. God, teach us how to have enough resource, how to have enough overflow of time, have enough margin so that we can be generous with it. So we're not trying to give away our scraps, but God, we've got something left over to give our family, to give our neighbors, to give our coworkers to give the marginalized stranger on the street. God, we thank you that you make everything beautiful in its time. Thank you for the life we've been given. Thank you for the eternal life we have been given. Jesus, I pray that that we would have that living water welling up inside of us and that we would live out of the overflow of that eternal life and we'd give it away to the thirsty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.